Hello, this is Melissa, and it's Real History. Today is Thursday, June the 1st, 2023, and I'm talking with Derek and Ula in Washington State, USA. Hello. Hi. Afternoon. How are you both? We're doing okay. We're good. We're good. Yeah, it's a lovely day. Sunny. Good. Well, what I want to say just right off the bat is that Derek and Ula are married They have two young children. They've got a a very full and interesting life, and which they said they didn't want to talk about. (laughs) So that's okay. (laughs) But they're they're both longtime listeners to Alan Watt and Cutting Through the Matrix, and I think they're they are both artists as well, um, and. That's a, a very rich and a big part of their lives, although not necessarily how they put the bread on the table. So, did I get it right? <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 that's, that's right. right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I try to make as much art as possible, though it's kind of hard now with with the kids, because most of my time is taken up as being a mom. But yeah, and I and I and I, you know, went to art school and. Worked as an artist for a long time, like graphic design and stuff, as well as fine art. But it's always been a, all the way back, there's that classic thing of, you know, when you're a little kid, everybody's an artist to a certain age, and then a bunch of people stop doing it. It's sort of, that never happened to me. I just sort of kept going and just, I never not, I never, I don't remember not uh, making stuff. So that's always happening no matter what else is happening too. So, yeah. Well, Derek, I'll have to get something, even if it's just a little line drawing that I can put on the refrigerator, because right now as I'm talking, I'm sitting here looking directly at a painting by Ula. And it's, yes. very, it's very nice. It's featured. I <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that's always been interesting for, for, for us both, too, I think, as both being artists, but she has a very singular, usually works in a very singular medium, oil painting. And out of all the different kinds of media, I do a lot of different stuff. And along the way, I've done a lot of different stuff, including, you know, theater things and audio and, and, and music and collage and all these different things. But the thing that I never really did, although was trained to do, but never got the knack for was oil painting. So it's like uh, together we, we have all these different. Uh, she's also does other things besides that, but mostly is a painter. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a certain level of artistry associated with being a painter that's a special thing which is fascinating for me because i can also enjoy seeing it as a as someone who's looking at art well people usually think it's harder to do too they put value on yeah. handmade things as opposed to computer made things yeah. i think mm-hmm. or draw, drawing or watercolors are like yeah. easier for, to people and as an artist i'm like yes they are yeah. <laughs> i agree <laughs> uh, oil painting is so time consuming and up until Digital photography was was the same thing. It was like so much intensive. You had to have the the knack for it, but it was also so much uh, material commitment to it that it was that uh, that always I always uh, avoided that much material commitment to the to the work. So yeah. that's fun. That's fun. But yeah. Well, I I think that uh, I will mention we will mention too and use some of the elements of Ula's podcast in this talk too. And it is it is a different format, certainly, than what I'm doing. You know, as far as I know, Ula, I've listened to a few of them, and you don't speak. You have other elements. You've certainly liberally used Alan Watts' voice. You use mm-hmm. music. Um, they're very 
I, I don't know the word for they, they evoke a whole state of mind, I guess you could say. They put you in a state of mind each podcast. That, yeah, that's true. They're very, they're very different from painting paintings because the paintings are much more unconscious. I don't, I, I'll see an image in my mind and decide that I want to paint it, but I don't know why I want to paint it. Whereas the podcasts are very conscious. I mean, there's elements. I'll think of a song and think, oh, this song goes well in this, you know, in this fragment and then later discover why that song worked mm -hmm. but it'll still be I'll be very aware it's more like narration it's more like telling a story whereas a painting is more symbolic you know it's so, interesting too unfortunately I, I just cannot keep up as much as I want to with with anything, with other people's work and with news and, and everything that is out there. And I have listened to some of your podcasts. And then when you resent me the link, there were a couple of things that I noticed this time that I didn't notice before. Maybe you changed your logo or the name, but oh. you call it Ula Today. And it's a oh, kind yeah. of a, <laughs> yeah, it's a riff on the newspaper USA Today. Yes, it's very that's cute. funny. That's funny because when I first met Derek, he made that for me when we were friends. He just sent it to me randomly because you thought it was funny. And I just had it in my files. And when I was putting this pod the, the podcast website together, I'm like, oh, I'm going to use this. But mm -hmm. it was his idea. Just he likes playing on words. Yeah, just the ULA being like USA. It just was like an optical, just like a pun, like so many of these logo, you know, you hijack a logo kind of thing. Yeah, it but, was but the fact cute. that that just yeah sat there and sat there, and now that's the thing that anybody who presumably moving forward to anybody who goes now and would listen would see that that would be a thing where it's it's like a yeah it's like a media it's a different kind of media thing. But I like I mean I like making the reasons I even started making the podcast is because I had these two little kids, and painting is I need hours to paint you know to actually get what I need from the painting I need hours whereas this. It's cleaner. I can sit in the evening when the kids are sleeping and just do it. And I like, I like Everyone loves music. Most people love music, you know. Mm -hmm. So I like sneaking ideas that I think are important by using music. Because mm -hmm. people are more willing to listen to it because it has a song that they enjoy. I know I noticed something else too, and this was a, a fairly well. Actually, I don't remember now when you posted it, but I of course noticed that you had posted a podcast entitled "If It Be Your Will." 
Yes. And I had not seen that until just a couple of days ago, but I mentioned uh, in a talk that I recorded two or three months ago that after Alan passed away, there I couldn't hear, I, I, I couldn't bear to have any music. I mean, it actually took me almost two years to be able to hear his guitar playing without just coming apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I naturally, it didn't even occur to me to listen to music. And then finally, I was passing by a stack of CDs in the house, and I saw a Leonard Cohen album right there on the top. And I put it in, and I listened to a few different things. And, you know, of course, Alan's work is associated with several of those songs very, very much. And I came to that song, If It Be Your Will, and it just, at first of it ripped my insides out. And I felt like the whole universe was speaking to me through that song. And I listened to mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it is... It, it, it's a, it works on a whole lot of levels, but I mm-hmm. think to just summarize it really quickly, it seems to be saying that there there's a ragtag little group of people who are conscious that they are on a spiritual journey, mm-hmm. and it's quite lonely, and it is refreshing when we connect, even if it's just on the phone or in this podcast or emails, with one another, and and we know that we're not alone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. out here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll have to feature some snippets of that and link to it because you did a good job. You've got some Alan clips in that one. You've got a mm-hmm. little bit of the Leonard Cohen in there. And if it be your will that I speak. No more And my voice be still As it was before I will speak no more I shall abide until I am spoken for If it be Let me see. 
be your will If there is a choice Let the rivers fill Let the hills rejoice Let your mercy spill On all these burning hearts in hell If it be your will To make us well Bind us tight All your children here In their rags of life In our rags of life All dressed to kill And in this night If it be your will, if it be your will. Yeah, I think that whole podcast is about that exactly that individual journey and that how that journey is a grace, you know, because it doesn't happen to everyone for some reason. Mm-hmm. That that opportunity doesn't present itself in everyone's life yeah yeah you know i i it's on alan might have a a different response or retort to that depending on the the day of the week that you started to talk about that but sometimes Mm -hmm. he would say to me uh everyone everyone without exception has the opportunity or many opportunities in their lifetime to to know. In other words, the grace... Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. He, well, he would say that grace taps them on the shoulder, but they don't want to hear it. They make choices. Okay, okay yes. I have him... I, I, I remember him saying that, yeah. They make yeah. a choice. They make yeah. a... Or a series. Mm-hmm. Or a series of choices. The structure and physiology of the brain furnish no explanation of the psychic process. The psyche has a particular nature, peculiar nature, which cannot be reduced to anything else. Like physiology, it represents a relatively self-contained field of experience to which we must attribute a quite special importance because it holds within itself one of the two indispensable conditions for existence as such namely the phenomena of consciousness. Without consciousness there would, practically speaking, be no world, for the world exists as such only insofar as it is consciously reflected and consciously expressed by a psyche. Consciousness is a precondition of being. Thus the psyche is endowed with a dignity of a cosmic principle which philosophically, in fact, gives it a position co-equal with the principle of physical being. The carrier of this consciousness is the individual, who does not produce the psyche on his own volition, but is, on the contrary, performed by it, and nourished by the gradual awakening of consciousness during childhood. 
if the psyche must be granted an overriding empirical importance, so also must the individual who is the only immediate manifestation of the psyche. Well, apropos of that, that in my mind also reminds, you know, it's like you, that phrase, many are called, few are chosen. That's right. That, that is from a time when, I mean, it, it's from a time when social structures were not as decimated or enlarged by the individuality that we all take for granted as modern people, where mm-hmm. the, cho- the choosing is also now delegated in, um, specific to each person so the choosing you're you're getting the calling but whether or not you choose it's not you're not being chosen by a council or by an external force or by a an agreed upon divinity you're 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 you have to that part of yourself that's still that resonance has to be choosing for yourself what your path will be too so Mm -hmm. many are called few choose is probably more accurate nowadays now that we're modern people you know I and you know time time just comes runs together like in a big mush for me and I don't remember from day to day what I did you know what I put up on the website the day before but I think it was I think that it was just last Sunday's Redux that I put up something that I thought was really maybe I was just astonished by the talk from 2006 I think it was November 30. That, see, it all comes together if I just start blathering on. But it, he was saying that maybe this isn't for everyone. You know, this journey, what we might call waking up or coming into consciousness. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he mm-hmm. said it, it just may be that it isn't for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like in the, in the podcast that I made, the clip that I pulled of his, he says that the individual's journey is lonely. It's lonely, and can you spend loneliness? Because you're not going to have a whole bunch of friends, most likely. To be an individual will take some sacrifice. To be an individual will not win friends from the, the bulk of the populace. To be an individual, you might be very lonely. Can you stand loneliness? What's the other side of it? See, a person who really should be an individual and knows it themselves will often marry and do all the things and live miserably ever after. To try and conform and to have those things he wants or she wants to have. And yes, he will be accepted, and yes, he'll be a face put on in public, but inside, they're depressed. That's why true individuality is not for everyone. That's why there's always been a mass. studies down through the ages have shown that the masses enjoy being the masses. The witch hunts don't have to be done by churches because the mass can turn on anyone they don't like. This happened down through history. It's still happening today. 
the mass wants to be one, the same as the elite want them to be one. The purpose of life is not to lose yourself, it's to find yourself, regardless of public opinion, because life must be meaningful to you. And also, Jermaine, to this, another thing that it makes me think about is the, uh, what, when you, when you, when like early on, when we, uh, get to know each other and discover what, you know, you feel this fellowship or this fellow traveler vibe where you're like, oh, someone else also sees something of, that's going on the same way I do based on we have a common point of reference and, and Alan was one of them. It's like the things that are coming to light if one believes this, which I, I think we do, we all do, is that, 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 that there's a um, visibility that's increasing and it's, and it's exponentializing because of the Internet that, that, we, that individuals can see that there is, no matter what level you're going to look at something or no matter what your orientation of your belief system is, there's an, even if it's just consumerism, there's an exoteric and an esoteric Meaning. So when something's on a, a commercial comes on and says, Hey, this is great. I'll make you, you're going to be this. You're going to be that. Everyone is even little kids completely intuitively understand that's not the real reason the commercial's on. The claim is c contains another thing underneath it that it's doing. Every operation on the internet that anyone does, everyone seems to use the internet with any facilities understands, well, something else in the black box inside is happening that perhaps that's why I'm getting this program for free because I'm the product. I understand all that. I've watched the documentary. I still will do it. And everyone's still in lockstep with the device, everything. Although we all like look at each other, total stranger at the bus stop. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it. We're all, well, yeah, we're all. So the thing that the ancient people and even people like our own grandparents probably didn't have to toggle between what they were doing and what it really meant. If you understood it, Mm -hmm. And that's something that's taken for granted. And the younger, per, you know, the, I see young people all the time because we, you know, we, 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 we have a cafe and the, the, the kids are so savvy. Everyone knows, you know, the younger someone is, the more they're up to speed on these things automatically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's not simply cynicism that people have because I'm, I'm up to speed on it, I think. And it's, I'm not, it doesn't just make me cynical. It also is part of the task of mastering some of the, tools some of the digital tools and some of the networking and the idea of like oh i'm going to get a text at three in the morning or whatever you you have to get up to speed with it but you it gives you this um you take for granted or you you allow it to live on a subliminal level because you sign off on the terms of service that it's going to be subliminal in the first place and this is something i don't think our grandparents generation they didn't experience the newspapers unless they were intelligentsia of some kind, they weren't that cynical about everything or that suspicious that there's a layer underneath the manifest layer that is the, that is in the psychological terms, that's the latent layer of what it really is. And, and so when you say that's how the world works, and in case of listening to Alan Watt, he's saying this is how the world works all back through history, through recorded history. And that's a very, um, interesting and provocative starting point to start to look at out your window with, you know, and so we, we both share that. And so it's very valuable. And, and, and it's the stuff of being an artist because you're always toggling between 
the self and the other or the real and the manufactured or created or the organic and the thing that's a, or the, the like, oh, that's really a, a, a bowl of fruit. No, 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 that's a painting of a bowl of fruit. It just looks like a bowl of fruit. You're always already dealing with all of that surrealism of life, you know. I, I think, too, in a, in a way, you're, you're talking about what is what you might call the natural state of humans when you don't see because the, the introducing of something that isn't really natural into our environment whether the you know example that Alan would have made the first television in a small town and people quit going to a park there is that element of trying to make peace or have a relationship with a piece of technology that you may not be able to navigate the modern world without so you have to make a kind of a peace with it. Yeah. But you you brought you said something else about your grandparents and this the lack of um, interaction that they might have with it, like a, a newspaper or the, a television piece. Is it? Do they need to be cynical or suspicious of it? And I recall. I mean, remember. We're all, well, Ula, still you're an American. I think of you as American because <laughs> yeah. you were born here. Uh, even no, though I was you, born in Poland. Were you born in Poland? Okay, I thought oh, you were yeah. born here. Yeah, okay. So you, you, may, you may have more of a natural wariness than, than Derek and I have. You know, that's what Alan would say about his family in yeah, yeah. small town yeah. Scotland with the, yeah. you know, the coal mines or whatever you've got. They, you know, he said, these yes. are working class people. Yes. They didn't have educations. They didn't know much about a lot of different things, but they knew to be wary of the government. They knew that newspapers yeah. were owned by multimillionaires. Sure. And therefore, you had to be wary of what they were saying. And for, for whatever reason, Americans, we are we are naive, right? Right, and we're we're cut off from history by design. Mm -hmm. But but even but if you take the long view of this ancient this ancient scholarship of actually studying ancient things and mysteries and things, you inevitably reach that question of like language itself is language uh, a controlling technology or agriculture. There's people now that are so that attribute some, you know, maybe some material or some kind of economic view that agriculture itself starts to have surplus and that starts to be where all the the bad social devil gets into society is when people aren't just subsistence level hunters and gatherers, that's when you have the beginning of recorded history, but that's where it all goes south, right? Yeah, yeah right at the beginning. So if, if, if the, same, the thing I mean is people weren't, my, my grandparents were might have been suspicious of newspapers too because they were in a small town in Ohio, but they they weren't suspicious of the English language as they received it or their religion right, as they received right, it or right. agriculture. Certainly, they weren't yeah. like, "Hey, wait a minute, what's in the food?" Because mm -hmm. they they were growing they were growing mm -hmm. the food, mm -hmm. and the food was was uh, food is good. So anybody <laughs> who can grow and have and store food is like, well, that's someone that is important. And they weren't mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, what's the scam here? Whereas <laughs> all of us who come after the television and the radio, where we were, by the, which we don't recognize, I don't think, until we, we have computer stuff, we don't realize, wait a minute, what's happening in real time in the 90s for me that I'm like, whoa, this is happening. That gave me the direct lived experience to go, oh, that's what, that's how far separated I am from 
people from before because I grew up watching television as my primary reality. Mm-hmm. And as much as I was a, uh, in college and stuff, critical of television uh, culture and, and aware that television was a, was a sociopolitical, you know, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, a social engineering communication device, it, it, it's, it wasn't vivid until I had some, something to compare to that was even more new and different. And like when you can turn on and stream a show whenever you want, it abolishes that you have to be ready for a TV show to come on at eight o'clock. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the fact that you finally have the same thing happens with our art materials and our art tools. When you have something where you can design the font and change it and change it and change it and then print it, it's so different than having to send away for someone to typeset it and manually do it with metal and then photographically send you uh, a, a positive and then you assemble it with glue and all that stuff is all lost to history mm-hmm. already. Right? And, that, and that's what I went to school for. I was the last, the last um, graduating class before they started their computer art program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right there in the trough, you know, but that, that's, that's something that's a uniform thing throughout my life is being in these little margins and these little troughs or in between these disciplines that um, permit the perception that like what's, what's happening in each one of them that's important. And that's that's something that living in this kind of world, it does sharpen your awareness if you live it, even appreciating art and appreciating the human. If you appreciate the humanities and and, and the, 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 you appreciate what's natural in the natural state or something real, all of the artificialness of the world is only going to make it stand out in bold relief, I think. And that's where we kind of are. How how did the two of you meet? You told me, but I I actually don't remember. Uh, we worked across from each other. Yeah, we were. I I worked across the street from a cafe she worked at. Uh, okay. Why Why do you ask? Which is which is well yeah. because I remember that you. Well, there's a couple of things, so I'll backtrack. But the the what I ask because I remember that you told me when you met. It was this amazement that you had that you were both aware of so much of what was going on. You had done all this research, and that's so rare. Yeah, it is rare. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we were amazed because it's rare to find a person who knows as much or more than you do when it comes to what's going on in the world. Yeah, and the and the other crucial thing before we before we knew that we each knew who Alan Watt was, we somehow earlier than that knew who Carl Jung was through the, like, Oh, you, Oh, you, Oh. And that was a, that he's not he, as, as famous as a, of a voice as he is. He's also not, it's not something that people are referring to and citing as a, as a way of like organizing how you're experiencing things. Mm-hmm. Certainly people don't, pe- most people that I meet still don't, don't, don't it, less and less. So think that dreams when you're asleep, Matter. the dreams have any meaning. They don't even, the idea that like, oh, that dream enco- has an encoded, uh, again, an, an esoteric thing. You have to crack the code and figure out what your own mind is telling you while you're sleeping. And that's something meaningful in your life. Nobody even, nobody, nobody's got time for that apparently now. But, but it's like one of our central tenets is individual people that that's true. And so to be like, oh, oh, you think that too? So that was Not another. That every dream is revelatory. No, no, no. no but because some of but that that you have to that, that it's a source of that are big. There are we, that we do have big dreams. Yeah. And I experience big dreams that tell you something about yourself that you're not aware of. You're not consciously. Yeah. You're not. You're really not conscious of it. 
Mm-hmm. The whole the whole theory of an honor subconscious presupposes that there's your working conscious level of, and then underneath it is another even more real level of like what really matters. And that mm-hmm. to be a whole self, to be a yeah. whole self, you have to assimilate the stuff that you're not aware of, that your ego is not uh, not aware of. The interesting yeah. thing also since then is the feeling that because the world is so crazy and that everything is so virtual and so synthetic, including food and drink and water, and everything is so unbelievably manufactured and everything is so contrived that eventually you say, well, it's like a like a glove being turned inside out. You're like, there's a the, the world is becoming more and more like a dream. Mm-hmm. Where you, well, maybe it always has been, but it's more like, well, the, the way to function in the waking world is to realize that it is not rational, it's not logical, it's not linear, certainly. It's not, it, the computer abolishes linearity, and so just, so, so does the airplane. You're like, everything is not linear per se. So all of the tools that you develop to work on your art turn into being things that are valuable because they are, they are tools that everybody has to just interrogate how to be. And so that's, that's kind of the upshot of the crazy times we're but living in. I think that the world is very rational. I think everything. I think that people who are not aware of what's going on think that it's crazy and it's irrational and doesn't make sense and they don't know True. how to. You sure. know, people are out of control. They sure. don't know what they're doing. People in positions of power. But then the lost ra- their mind. Blah blah. Yeah. But actually, it's very planned, very That's thought out very for hundreds of years or thousands sure. of years. But people feel lost. The average person who doesn't know what's going on, they just feel, you know, they feel they're in a panic because things are collapsing around them. They feel like it's a dream. But when you take that to heart and that seems to be chiming with your experience that that intuition is true, then you then you go to the voices like uh, Carl Jung or Alan Watt or someone who's who's has an innate and a sculpted expertise in trafficking and all those things. And those voices always are telling me. Are, are like, even if it's true that it's rational or that it's being deliberately engineered invisibly to the, to, to who we're usually talking about, regular people like us, <laughs> then, then you have to say at that really rare level, well, why? And that still puts you right back into the, you you have to decode the motives of if, let's say you're a card carrying, what the, the mainstream people would consider even your neighbor would be like oh that's conspiracy theory if you're if you're that far out that you believe that some of these things are actually that there's that there's a there there it still points you in the direction of saying if that's true how did it get like this and what does that mean which puts you back in the same state where mastering the amount of information that you've received is never enough you have to go find secret hidden information you have to see behind the corner, around the corner, but not beneath the floorboards. You have to go find out the thing that has been hidden from you. All of that puts you in the state of mind of the of the person who has to detect or decode or interpret or the sort of witchy state of like, I have to read the tea leaves, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that, again, is not something you can prosecute and achieve simply by rationality because all of the best, all of the places where humans, it seems to me, are at the edge of themselves interrogating the world whether it's an artist or a scientist or a teacher or a musician you're you have to get fully integrate your non-rational the other aspects of yourselves that are not your ego because everyone now in this counterfeit world thinks that the ego is the rational total person they think that who you are when you're awake when you're talking when you claim i'm this person this is my social security number that's who you are 
and that's just a sliver of the of each person of who they are. I think mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. So it takes these wise people to be like, "Hey, there's way more." You know, it takes a fairy mm-hmm. tale to remind you this little thing that you, not looking at this little frog under this bridge, actually has the key to the whole story. And you're like, "Oh, it's the frog under the bridge, is it?" You know, that's, is it that's what the, you're that's what the, you're talking about. What you're talking about is part of the creative process. It's part of intuition. It's also you're skirting uh, the mouth of madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because because. Without, say, uh, an Alan Watt or a Carl Jung, and uh, last week I, sp- I spoke with someone who, who knew Alan and had listened to all of his talks many, many times and has recently discovered Rudolf Steiner. Uh, and the point that she was making is we are on a spiritual journey, and even that, even that is not a it, it's so hard to verbalize what this is, but sometimes I do think of it as the mouth of madness because when you come, when you decide that you're going to do this journey and you will stick with it no matter what, the less that you need the confirmation from other people that you're all seeing things in the same way, at the same, you agree, there's consensus, the more alone the journey becomes and the more that you say is is this is is this my experience or am i mad <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and there's a yeah there's a gravity there's a vortex like there's a whirlpool waiting to mm-hmm. once you get out of lockstep with everything it's ready to pull you in places where you can't you can't quite you, you don't have that force of numbers or anything either, so it is a definitely an odyssey. It's very perilous. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, some of the things why I find it, in, you know, incredibly helpful always to return to Alan's talks over and over, is because uh, you, there's these little gems that are like a, a buoy and an ocean that is just crashing waves, so choppy and perilous and he will say something like, look, if you're the only person that sees it this way and nobody else in the whole world sees it that way, that doesn't mean you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's those little buoys that you say, okay, well, I, I can keep on this this perilous path here. Because this is, the, the, the journey is about so much more than what is the latest awful horror thing that they're doing mm-hmm. to us yeah. and, and even piecing together the agenda. It's still beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's interesting that regular discourse and regular, you know, Slate magazine or MSN or whatever, whatever would be your go-to thing that would say, this is what ordinary right thinking, decent people are thinking, you know, the, the, this whole concept of like, all this self-help, new agey kind of talk of like, get out of your own way, get out of your way. You, you, you're ready to do it. Just get out of your way. Turn off. Let go. Be. You know. Stop. <laughs> stop. Over. Don't overthink it. You know. That's points in the obvious direction that we are too rational and we're too hubristic as a society to actually use these skills that are ours to use to do things. Many of them are are working with our hands moving around, not being in front of a screen, going out, being around other people and having all of those automatic response 
and call and response interactions with lots and lots of people and lots and lots of environments, all of that would, and then now they're, now even the scientific button pushers are like, oh, everything's genetics and everything's material and everything's genes, but wait a minute, the things that don't make any sense and the way it doesn't add up, well, there's epigenetics above the genes that turn the genes on and off, you just don't know what they are. Well, that, that's not satisfactory because it's not natural selection if it's a supernatural epigenetic power that turns on and off certain genes as needed. So that's such a humongous, fascinating thing that even if you just go to the regular well of the regular library, which in Seattle, the library, the top three, they don't have books. the top three, <laughs> and the, bo- the p- top three of the bottom two shelves are empty. And then all of the ones in the middle, half of them are videos to rent, you know, DVDs uh, or whatever. And then the rest of them are like popular titles that you would see. There's 30 copies of the same popular title. You know what those the top three and the bottom three shelves are for, don't you? I, I dust, but what else? I don't no, know. No, no, that, that's for the drag queen crowns well, sure, and sure, scepters sure. and wands on the top three, and then their you know their pointy magic shoes get stored on the bottom three shelves, that's so they true, can do their true. shows. It's all handy. <laughs> and then the and then you know it, you know the. The kids are going to make something out of a pipe cleaner, and they have to stand that up and be be excited because some visiting school has made some little 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 objects to, to consider. Public art is everywhere, and all these construction sites they like put up temporary public art of some like. Seattle had a, a piece of public art. It literally was sculpture garbage bags. Mm-hmm. There were like sculpted garbage bags. Mm. That you mean the the ones that were cast? Yeah, they were yeah, cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like laying scu- bags. Sculptures of garbage bags. Yeah, yeah that that was one of the uh, yeah. public art display. Yeah, and there's other things where there's uh I I see all over because I'm visual and I'm tracking it. I see tags by graffiti artists, and they're everywhere. So you're like you you just mentally calculate like well how much graffiti how much what's the cost what's the total cost of that? And then down at the waterfront they have a special curated digital art temporary exhibit around a construction site that's a city thing where they where they've curated certain graffiti artists and other artists to put up artworks so it's a digital print of a piece of a graffiti which otherwise is on some other public utility space that's actually bringing the value down and making work for somebody to clean up and this person gets the grant money while someone who actually might be let's say a painter or an illustrator or do some some other handcraft or a weaver doesn't get doesn't get that real estate to hang their art you know so that's a that's again another sign of the times i would think that you would have to logically say wait a minute how that's changed so much even in 10 years there's a reason for that and it must be on purpose but that leads you down a road that that we might be on other people might not be on that road to think that way but once you start thinking that way at all you're right back where you started which is like where are we where are we going where did we come from what's happening what does it mean what how do i do it how do how do other people do it it's all the same it's all the same um experience you know it's just how your the qualitative aspect is what's different so that's that's pretty interesting well and where where the journey will take you is you know so it, you ask those questions and then you go back a century and then you see the ancestors of the same group and then you go back and you see the ancestors you see the brotherhoods you see and 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 that was alan's journey to you you keep going back you keep going back and as he has said you finally have to ask a question what is in these people 
Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking about intergenerational plans that, that go so far back and they are never derailed. And he said, this isn't natural. You don't see, even in family lineages where, okay, so they, they focus on the one son, you know, if you're talking masonry or something like that, or just, you know, the elite, like the landed gentry, only the eldest son was, you know, entitled. So you say, okay, well, that's where they put everything on, on that one son or on that chosen. Yeah, and all of the rest do some, you know, but but you still see all of the rest in some way tangentially involved down through time. Like if you look at the Darwins and the Wedgwoods and their fascination with breeding, you know, mm-hmm. um, hy- hybridization or or whatever, you you you've got this going on. Mm-hmm. I I was looking into some of the. Rockefellers who are current, but we never hear about them because you know they don't—they're not up front. But they have interesting hobbies or things that they're involved in. It's—it's always the same thing: sustainability. It's—you know—it's for the same agenda. And you do have to wonder because the world is rich with possibility, and especially for those who have unlimited resources. But they still always go the same direction. And I think that was where Alan's thinking took him. He said, I would love to be logical about this. But you reach a point in your thinking when you have to open up your mind for something just a little beyond the black and white explanation of who they are and why they do what they do. What do they want, ultimately, do you think? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it, you know that I don't know if it's a topic for this venue. Um, what mm-hmm. do what do I think they want? Mm-hmm. Is it just uh, ultimate control? No, I, I I think it's beyond ultimate control. I I, I think that it is anti human. If if it was just control, then they would. Yeah, they could just they'd have us, it. Yeah. Yeah, they have. Yeah, it's like. But I mean, they're going to turn us into the, um, not. We're not going to be human if they have their ultimate sure. control. You but, know, but they're going to change what human means. But, but that, is that, that is that control, yeah. Ula, or is that our ultimate demise? Well, yeah. Oh, and you don't have a. There's a failsafe for control as long as you have this other part of a person where they can have a life-altering eureka moment dream that comes from them from beyond from the god or gods (laughs) that they 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 say well we have to take that you know this whole this 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 thing that's often referenced by conspiracy people who think that fluoride is to harm the pineal gland and the pineal gland is actually uh, a gland connecting connecting you to energetic information systems that are the So the idea that they've figured out that that's true. So that whatever the conspiracy theory is that the pineal gland is a, is a, is, has magic in it is something regular people are like, it's just a thing in your brain. It's a useless thing in your head and you don't need it. It's like the appendix. And then those are the same people that have been conditioned because they didn't ask or vote for it and they just put fluoride in their water and that's just how they've always been. So it's good enough for me because it's good enough for, it's good enough for my grandparents. They had fluoride. What were, Facing is the same question of like, well, if you're scientific and you say, what is fluoride and what is a pineal gland? What do they do? You're thinking for yourself and that's the part they can't control. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite possible that 
total control is not enough. Like in 1984, it's not enough that the part that you that you surrender to the party completely. They want you to be miserable because they they want you to they want you to um, if you're if you retain yourself, they still don't have everything. There's a you know there's just a song lyric where you know a, a character is saying to the to the singer, "I don't want the world. I just want your half." It's like like it's so pointed of an image of like the 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 not being content with any possible failsafe to the system of domination you hatch as someone who's that remote from um, lived life because you you are you are the scion of some like ancestral lineage of people that have been so disconnected from lived life. That you're like, well, I don't do anything. I don't make anything. I'm not an oil baron. I'm just the great great grandson of an oil baron. But for me to have my place in the world, I need to get there to be zero chance that this could be taken away from me. When I was driving once, I saw this painted on a bridge. I don't want the world. I don't want to have. That's a. That's that devil's bargain that never pans out it's always it's always a a calamity you know eventually so that also is good news despite how weird things are for everybody that that it never works that the control never can quite suppress but it can it can for the duration i mean it can for the duration of some people's lives oh sure sure that's a yeah Yeah. and it could they could ruin the earth easily yeah. And it may it might be the third time they've done it. But but yeah. but, but still. See, you know, I mean I, I, I just I took I jumped back there on my figurative feet when you said, you know, where what is this goal? Where are they going? Because you could just talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but it is for for me it is simple to say like Alan might say, this is the middle plane. This is something that I've, I've thought about these things since I was a really small child. You know, where do we come from? The, the, the feelings that you have when you're a child that you're connected to something really huge. Mm-hmm. I remember those feelings. So, but I, Alan would say, this is the middle plane. And I always thought, well, if, you know, if there's a middle plane, then there's something beyond this. And so when I said you, we could talk for hours, because what you're talking about then is mythology of fallen angels, troglodytes. I mean, you just, you can go and go and go, or you can just make it really simple and say, for me, I'll say, for me, it is clear that this world is not all there is. Mm-hmm. And it is also clear by the the wh- horror show that is created for us to keep us here and always focused on subsistence and uh, the whatever drama that they're going to enact upon us on any given day or decade. So the mind doesn't have an opportunity to fly free and and to go into these unknown places. Mm -hmm. So then you're essentially trapped here. And I Mm -hmm. often think, ultimately, that is the goal. Mm -hmm. If you don't know in your marrow that there is something beyond here, 
then how do you access it? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. You might miss the opportunity. Yeah. If this life, if this life is some kind of a test, if if we do have to achieve something in this life, but that they're doing everything for us to not even ask those questions, then we might not be going into the beyond. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. And I usually like to play the role of the angel's witness for the prosecution, but in terms of playing the devil's advocate, if, if it can still be true that that's the case. But if you have any feeling in your marrow that there's more to the world, and then you say, but what exactly is it? You You are still, as I see it, you're sort of still stuck in this, especially now with this riot of various stories all competing for centrality, you don't have any confidence that anyone, that's the, that's the modern, postmodern, whatever condition is this exploded. We're, we're dehistoricized because everything is bankrupt and no one has any faith in any one thing enough to say that's the story. That's the narrative, you know, of, of this world or of any world beyond. And so, but the idea would be if the, if the world beyond is there, is it do you have is it like flipping a coin or is it up to you to work to get to the world beyond or is it already written and it's already timeless that you, that the world beyond is already waiting for you as the religions tell you that it is tell us that it is that that if you live properly even if you suffer unto the worst possible suffering you still have a place where you want to end up which is where you belong which is in the in the afterlife or in some sort of heaven of some kind, you know, and that's, there's, that's, there's no answer, obviously, but that's the conditions of life that we're in this weird liminal situation where even though people believe things so devoutly that they'll fight for them and kill for them, that, that, that we don't have the proof or the certainty that they're actually true yet. We're still see, trying I to like, do that. In my podcast, I put this little clip of Jung when he, where he's asked, when you were young, did you believe in God? And he says, Oh yes, I did believe in God. And then uh, the interviewer asks, "Do you believe in God now?" And he says, "Well, that's a very that's a difficult question. I know I don't need to believe. I know, and I think I think it's possible to know. And I think we need to know. Sure. I think the point of life is to know, not to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very difficult. <laughs> and also, he kind of was one of these very colorful recent history people who wrote his own story. He kind of came up with a a whole philosophy that was syncretically drawing from all of the religions of the world in order to say, none of them are what I want to do for me or focus on. I want to focus using, I want to rejoin them back to science. And so then the scientific people are like, oh, that you're a mystic, that's hocus pocus. Actual Friends of his who were theologians eventually were like, you know what? I can't talk to you anymore because you're not pious and you're not devout. You're you're ultimately a scientist. You're 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 ultimately you're too gnostic even for me, and I'm a gnostic. I'm done with you. So he he was in between all of those camps because he was a new hybrid point of view where if we take him at face value, where he says he's or we take we look at his work, which seems to prove he 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 knew something. Then you say, well, he didn't do it by following orders with any with any existing formal system. He he made up his own answer to how to relate to them based on himself. And then his whole 
his observation of people, yeah, with people, other people, and his whole and his whole mission to people was you've got to find that inside of yourself, and it will not be the one that's everyone else's, which is like a huge complexification, while being a religious statement, it's a huge complexification of the idea of like everybody goes and does this because that's what our religion is, you know, and 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 he's he's obviously fallen into some wrong hands who are using some of his ideas in superficial ways to, to to gloss over the fact that they are predatory new age people who just want to scam you and make you believe pseudo scientific gibberish so that you I don't know take their course or buy their thing or accept their um, pharmaceutical or whatever they would whatever would be like this is what it is man take this you know join this cult you know because it's because <laughs> it's not the one you were raised in it must be more true and that's not what he was about either. So it's all very dubious. Well, in terms you, of were, how it, yeah. Yeah. you were going to add something there? Um, you said no. I, I, I just wanted to. I mean that 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 always leaps out of me in even listening again and again now to Alan because he's. It's not equivocation. I don't experience it as equivocation, but he's he will refer to mythological narratives or artworks or songs like he, he his his awareness of you know his his being a musician and finding out that he was even more devoted to music than I was aware of as a listener to his talks and that that was part of his career earlier and everything that there's that that tension between what you accept as being legitimate history that is empowers you and what is what was handed to you in the previous iteration to your to your ancestors as the noble lie at that time for you to for them to consume that's upstream from what you receive as received wisdom like the bible you receive it as received wisdom a lot of people are like hey man i'm not gonna fall for this this is a joke and they they become anti-biblical people because they they are in this dialectic thing of opposing it but then they're throwing all the wisdom out of the, all of it and all of the information in it out, and then they're stranded without history. Mm-hmm. And they're and now we're in a phase where people are doing that with actual with the incline plane and with like with like chemistry. They're, they're like, we don't want this because it's all part of the empire, man. We want to get rid of all this stuff. Down with the down with rulers. Turn it off. Like they're they're literally and figuratively down with rulers. Break them in half. Don't you know? Two plus two doesn't have to equal four. So this kind of unreason is also dangerously possibly being fed to us as the current thing in vogue in order to like, you know, with an agricultural model, sometimes you plant, sometimes you reap, sometimes you just burn everything and let it stay ash for a few few years so the, so the soil is re-enriched. If that's happening across a 10,000-year time span by people who are doing it to us, then the population cannot be, as I see it, cannot be... Um, trusted i don't trust myself to make the proper decision because i remember 10 years ago when i thought something i don't think anymore and i was i was wrong you know and that's a huge thing so when you hear when you hear something where you're like hey look read between the lines to find out what this really means and decrypt it for its secret message because it's controlling you sometimes that's true but also at the same time and that's a Jungian idea. at the same time it could also still contain what you need to know in order to progress and grow and, well, and that's an un, that's an uneasy tension between rejection and acceptance of history and your place in the world. But that's life, you know. 
You're also talking about a, a dilemma, which is the dilemma of looking anywhere, anywhere outside of your own experience and observations for wisdom, which isn't to say throw the baby out with the bathwater because mm-hmm. it's all there. But see, a difference, I mean, you and I, we've talked about Jung and I, and things that I think and how he was used and so forth. Uh, so I'm I, I, I'm not I have I never really got into Jung. On the other hand, the little bit that I've read, I can certainly understand why people find such incredible wisdom there. You see? Yes. But the danger with anything is when it becomes a school of thought or a mm-hmm. religion, and this is what Alan knew too. And so you, what what you're talking about is a is the razor's edge. Because if you are only going to go by your observations and your experience, then you will save yourself from many, many pitfalls as long as you can keep moving, as long as you don't just stop and park yourself on this one mm-hmm. aha moment that you had. Yes. But the edge of the other side of that razor's edge is the insanity of saying that two plus two does not equal four. Well, of course, the other the other longer range proof of that same dilemma does obtain, as we now know firsthand, when you when you have children, because that in it instantly you're connected to the timeline of life in a much larger way in your awareness, because you have children that are like, well, they're they're just starting, and all of the you you're reliving your own development through watching them develop, which is fascinating and fun and adorable and challenging and all of those things. But at the same time, there's still some part of yourself that tracks like everything. And, and Americans are obsessed with this currently. Everything you say or do or choose for your children, if you're not careful, you might think that all of that is simply foisting something on a child rather than telling them what's true. Mm-hmm. And 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 of course there'll be cultural and time time bound and situational anomalies where something you would teach your child now is going to be different than something someone two hundred years ago would teach their child in a in Asia. But but that's circumstantial to where humans are living. It's not an intrinsic commentary on the fact that parents don't have any role in raising their children. That's right. right. It, and so when you when we when I. You know, when the kids ask anything, any question, you you start to answer them, but you're like, oh, here I go. I'm going to I'm part of the apparatus. It's going to control their mind. Right. And you and you and you stop pointing your finger at everyone else and you feel the finger pointing at you, even if it's the future finger of your teenage kid who's going to be like, you told me that when I was a kid. So for me, Uh, I'm still I'm also part of my like I talked about not ever stopping making stuff when I was little like everyone else did at the same time, I have a what I think is a pretty vivid memory of being a former child. And so so the so there's another element too where I'm re experiencing from all the different points of view, I'm re experiencing the fact that, well, I learned a bunch of stuff that I take for granted is my own still small voice of myself. Mm-hmm. But it, it I can't be sure in a weird Philip K. Dick way, I can't be sure that those are really my memories because I was oblivious to them until I was taught things as an infant. And you don't remember, I don't anyway, before I was four or five. I don't have memories from when I was three. And here I am 
talking to a three-year-old and then like, come on. And I, and I'm, 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 I think that it's Matt. I think that I'm certain that it matters. I'm certain that there'll be some reason down the line that it will have an effect. And yet I know as a former three-year-old that I, that the, the three-year-old won't remember anyway. And therefore it, it might as well be a dream, you know? And so that's, that's how you choose to raise your kids, not how you choose to be raised or born. So that it's such a dilemma that it's, it's actually parceled out over every operation in the world. And the more sensitive to it you get, the more overwhelming and awe-inspiring it is, which is, which is part of the fun of continuing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and Uli, you mentioned something earlier about how the, the painting, you, you get into a space when you're doing it, and then having children limits the hours that you can devote to that and so the podcast is an easier way to express yourself. It made me think, and then I forgot to ask you at this at the moment, but obviously the relationship that you have with the canvas and the oils is a deep psychological, psychic, spiritual, however you want to say it, connection. Mm-hmm. And that is limited now with two young children. How do you deal, I mean, the podcasts are only like a little stopgap measure, so how do you deal with what must be a void in your psyche by not painting as much as you'd like to? How do I deal with it? I guess um, I'm not dealing with it. Forbearance. I'm waiting for the time when I can paint again. Yeah. I mean, I still paint, I just don't, in order to get into that space that I was talking about, I need about five hours, six hours in front of the cam in, in front of the canvas before I feel like I'm there. Uh-huh. So if I only have eight hours in a day, that leaves three hours of that space productivity, but I, of, product, yeah, of yeah. being really productive. Like yeah. I feel I'm actually channeling something that's bigger than myself. Right. So it's just it's just living with being deprived of that, you know, <laughs> until yeah. I can do it yeah. again. And also, yeah. although I do also because I. It's weird because it seems so unconnected, but I run, and when I run, I get into that same space because it's it's like a it's like a hypnotic space. The the act of painting, I don't know why I need six hours to get there. Yeah. Whereas when I run, I just yeah, <laughs> I need yeah. less time. Yeah. But I do feel like I reach those inner spaces at when I run as well. What if you ran and then ran home and? St- immediately started painting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Or we've also thought about like a, a tripod with wheels on it, but that's kind of still good. <laughs> no, I know. Okay, now but listen. It's, this- it's, it's, it's trying to get away from the ego. That's what I'm trying to do. And painting, painting. And you, and without resorting to dissolving it any other way, like a lot yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Without, caveat. you know, substances sure. and things sure. like that. Sure. Because I'm still, I want to be aware. Yeah. You want to catch it. It's both... It's both being yourself and being more than yourself. Being yourself and then watching yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I was telling you when we talked once that I'm a very practical person. You know, I, I don't feel... I, I'm a I'm an emotional person. I, I feel. I don't really think. I don't think in abstract ways as I live my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really like... I like when things, abstract thoughts come to me when I'm in those spaces mm-hmm. um, that are, that are, I know that they're bigger than me because I would never think of them on my own. Also, 
understandings, you know, connecting things too. Sometimes answers to questions that I have, uh, things I'm puzzled about by, I just, they just come to my mind, you know? And I really like that. I really like that because I don't get it any other way. And I feel like I'm connected to something greater than myself. I feel like, I don't know if that's my spirit, but if it's not, it's getting closer to finding my spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, it, so- it sounds like a very good process, and, but I can also understand why you kind of yearn for it as you're going about the day with so many practical considerations. Yes. Yes, it's but you know that's that's what happens when you have little kids. <laughs> so. And uh, Derek, you've expressed to you before that your process, your artistic process, is very different. Yeah, apropos of that, I would say as a as being this close, I'm a witness to how much intensity and in, in this process that she has. Where before there were children, like the the thing of like an eight or ten hour day or, or longer where it's just standing up often in silence. Cause I always listen to music and I, and I often, when I have, uh, when I had more time on my hands where I was making art my own way without supervision, I would be populating that with, I would be singing and doing things at the same time. So a lot of my art is really layered and maximal and, 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 and has a lot, has more as more as more as more. Her her focus on this other method is a is just a different route, but it's a complementary route to some of the same unification of these di- these dislocated or separated or maybe artificially fragmented parts of our way of being that the society again apropos of us saying that you know there's no valuation in in our current world for the, the for dreams. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're if you if you see dreams as a primary place where you're getting material for your art, yeah. you instantly elevate the value of dreams as like, well, it's at least on level on the level of my commercial attempt to make art for people to look at, you know, and mm-hmm. that and it and it gives it what we what I would imagine is it's a better it, it more properly locates how noble a dream is, whether it's a happy or sad or good or bad dream. But it, it, it's unifying the artist or the dreamer with so that their waking and sleeping states are one person and you're fully alive, you know. So and also the dreams are where propaganda doesn't get in. Yes, it's like the one thing that we get from God, from the universe, that is completely just for us, you know. Yes. Like mm-hmm. the government can't get in there and, and yes. tell you what your dream, not yet at least, you know, what your dream <laughs> right. is going to be.
And again, if it does, if you have a dream with a celebrity, it's it's a mask for what the dream is telling you. And you know that if you're right. up to speed on. Yeah. So but also from being a complimentary, totally different kind of person from her, I have a totally different art solution to reaching that state because my waking state is is a different is like at a perpendicular to her kind of waking state, which work which we work really well together because we complement each other. In our wake, our egos complement each other, but our but then this method of trying to do the rest of the heavy lifting, also, it's an interesting thing to be right next to someone and see that they're trying to do the same thing as you in a totally different way, uh, and nice. uh, and 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 that's been really not just fascinating and pleasurable and and, and, and challenging too. Try, yeah, <laughs> but but it's also been it's also then you go away when you're by yourself again and you have to reflect on all of your, um, it's not just the ordinary typical stereotypical relationship things of like, Hey, you, you put the cap on, I leave the cap off. You set this here. I set that there. That's, that's everyone knows that's how that is. But when those are connected to, this is what you're, what, what do you, and, and those questions are revealed to be strategies or methods for trying to court and propitiate receiving spiritual information well then it's a much richer even if it's an argument it's a much richer argument you know and that's really been really cool because we are very different and so i'm learning i even learn a lot about my own art from just riding shotgun or or talking to her about her art you know and that and that's what that's you know that's also a huge part of doing anything creatively is comparing notes and comparing maps and everything so that's been that's been really awesome and also i think just being different you know no matter what characteristic a person has and what good qualities that can bring there's always the shadow side of that mm-hmm. so when you're when you're next to somebody that's different than you they they can see the shadow side yeah. that you don't see yeah. and then you see the shadow side in them and then if you communicate properly yeah i think you complement each other yeah. in, in that respect as well well, this has been, uh, it's always enjoyable for me to talk to you because I do get to talk with you about things that are, are unique to us conversing. And I really like that. You know, I, I think that's the way, uh, there, the, Alan always bemoaned the standardization of people that we talk about whatever show we saw on television or the sport, mm-hmm. sporting event or that kind of thing. And the, the uniqueness that he hoped that people would find in themselves when they were breaking away from their programming and indoctrination. I always find that we can talk about really interesting things that take us into places that we could literally go for hours and hours. But yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, we agree. We, we agree. It's very, very rich. Yes. Always yes. more questions the next day. Yes. And that, that's what we said one time is that we get off the phone and then there, you know, it might be a really long email and thinking, ah, yes, but I also wanted to say this. And I, yeah. I do want to say mm-hmm. that I think that perhaps what the, if, if when we talk again in this format down the road, I think it would be fun to talk to you both about Gnosticism. Sure. So. That'd be yeah, fascinating. Yeah. We could have a, 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 a Gnosticism meets Carl Jung kind of a conversation, and yeah. I think that would be really interesting. So. Sure, yeah, I think they have a lot of things in common. Yeah, there's a lot of 
And there's a lot of, there's a lot, I've never, like you were saying, Rudolf Steiner, I never knew much about Rudolf Steiner before the past few years. And then I feel like that's something that I have to conclude is deliberately obscured from people so that they don't have this other voice in their head of like, here's another way to think about it. Here's all the work of this person. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. So, but he's, have you listened to him, Melissa? Uh, no, I have. Well, just a little bit of a snippet, but I, I spoke with Judy on last week's Real History, and I, I, I watched a snippet of the video that I put up there, actually more than a snippet, probably 20 minutes. It's very interesting, and she makes a good point, which is saying what she says, having studied quite a bit of the body of his work, is that he's saying many similar things to Alan. Mm-hmm. And but it's amazing because listening to him, it's like this man has the answers to the universe, you know? <laughs> He's so confident. I mean, he, yeah, he, he, I mean, it's, it's people like that are fascinating that you might disagree with them, but the fact that they have their own philosophy that's so total, it's, it's quite amazing. Well, and, and it's not only about live, it's also about death. It's about mm-hmm. creation. It's about yeah, things mm-hmm. are, that are impossible to verify yeah. as far as I know. Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but I would just say one last thing about that. Look, we're talking schools of thought and Jung and this and that. We're essentially, we all have questions for ourselves. And I, I think for me, one of the beauties of Alan is he would say this and he would say that and he would say and say and say, but he never said this way my way he never tried and that was one thing for me that made him so unique is that he was the antithesis of trying to make a school of thought or a religion or it's just you think for yourself and ultimately there is an immeasurable power in thinking for yourself and saying you know what i'm out i'm i'm on my own here it's the razor's edge it's the mouth of madness but this is what I know, mm-hmm. and that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to know it. And, you know, I, I think that's pretty much how Alan was. But we will we'll, we'll talk again soon. You'll, you've sent me some artwork and some of the podcasts, and I will incorporate those in here. And we will put it up and have fun listening to it. Great. Thank and you. Thank, so much thank you so much. Time. And thank you to listeners, as always for coming to listen to the conversation and uh, I feel that you're part of it. I hear back from you in email and I'm glad that we can expand the conversation just a little bit. Thank you. Well, I've got something that the world didn't